0: before we roll the audio on this pft log podcast we want you to know that mike florio does an afternoon podcast why to catch all the late breaking news and developing stories in the nfl of course so you gotta subscribe to pft pm as well go to apple podcasts stitcher art 19 or google play search pft pm and subscribe boom done thanks for the support now stats another hour of the pft Live podcast. It's a Friday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN, an hour from now. Big Cat back in the building. He'll be joining us next week in Miami as well, but it's just him today for the final two hours of the program. Closer and closer to the Super Bowl, closer and closer to the Pro Bowl. I will proudly state that I did not watch the skills competition, although I did see a clip of the uncanny dodgeball skills of Jarvis Landry. If the NFL ever goes away, Jarvis Landry has a future in the non-existent professional dodgeball league. Whatever the name of that dodgeball league was from the... What was that movie? Was it called Dodgeball? It may have been. So, I thought having the flu would be the worst part of Thursday for me. And I'm trying to get over it. Yesterday, the voice barely held out. I'm on different types of medication. I have learned that there is a fundamental difference between DayQuil and NyQuil. I'm concerned, though, about taking NyQuil. When you go to bed at midnight and you get up at five-ish, I don't think the NyQuil is going to wear off. So I took the DayQuil to control the symptoms, so I couldn't sleep. So I was wide awake at four. And this is a strange kind of a situation for me because I'm in the middle of a controversy that... Is confined to Twitter and really nowhere else. Now, some of the sports blogs with the cookie cutter, copy paste, nice try at a snarky comment crowd have jumped onto this, but there was some stuff we said earlier in this week about Patrick Mahomes, and there was a clip that number one is being bastardized and distorted the words that were used are being ignored and it's being twisted into something that it wasn't. And also that clip's being taken out of the broader context as it relates to this dynamic that we have been talking about for months when quarterbacks become running backs and defensive players often freak out, especially as the quarterback runs along the sideline, especially as the quarterback maybe in a posture in the open field where he's about to possibly slide, they just won't hit him. They won't treat the quarterback like a running back. And the ultimate example of defensive players freaking out under those circumstances happened on Sunday in the AFC championship game when Patrick Mahomes ran 64 yards in all to cover 27 yards to score the touchdown that broke the back of the Titans. It made it 21-17 at the half. And at that point, it was over. That was the backbreaker. I know 30 minutes of football were left to be played, but at that point, we all knew that that 10-point lead the Titans had put together was gone forever, and it wasn't coming back, and the Chiefs were going to win, and they were going to the Super Bowl. And one of the big reasons it happened is, I believe, as Patrick Mahomes sprung free with that head fake for the ages, started down the sidelines. You had defensive players that were thinking we can't hit him at the sideline. If he steps out of bounds, as we get ready to hit him, we're going to get flagged. And if we try to line him up and hit him like we'd hit a running back, he may start into a slide and then we can't stop. And that's a very common dynamic that we see. And that's what Peter and I were discussing. Number one, how the Titans mishandled the situation, especially after Mahomes cut back inside at the 10. That's when Tremaine Brock and Imani Hooker just kind of freaked out. They didn't know what to do. Brock's trying to strip the ball out. Hooker kind of did this weird dive where it's almost like he was trying to miss Mahomes. And my point was and continues to be, there are some teams that I think are actively coaching their players to treat those quarterbacks like running backs. I think Bill Belichick does it, as evidenced by the hit that we saw in week four on Josh Allen. Controversial hit, but the same kind of hit that you would see applied to a running back. I think the Seahawks took it a step too far in the Wild Card round when Jadavian Clowney lowered his helmet and crammed it into Carson Wentz. I don't think Clowney would have done that to a running back. I think he's had it beaten into his brain, free hit on a quarterback... I'm going to go take it. And he crossed the line. And he should have been flagged. He wasn't. And he should have been fined. He wasn't. Because I believe the league didn't want to underscore the failure to throw the flag on the hit that ultimately, after some time, it wasn't an immediate removal of the game, but it automatically or ultimately resulted in Carson Wentz not playing again that day. And the point is this. And I don't know how I can say it any differently than I said it. Even in the clip that was used, And I guess there's a shorter version of the clip where they omit my disclaimer that I'm not suggesting that the 49ers defense try to knock Patrick Mahomes out of the game. This isn't a bounty thing. This isn't a, you will win the game if you incapacitate Patrick Mahomes. This is when quarterback becomes running back, quarterback is running back, running back rules apply, and you can't get freaked out by the gray area when the Super Bowl is riding on it. That's the point. And that's what I said. Now, the things that we said, both Peter King and I, before the quote that's been clipped and reacted to and the plain language of it flat out ignored, the context before that makes it even more clear. And let me just say this before I get into the details of what I actually said and what I didn't say. I'm one of the biggest Patrick Mahomes fans in the media. I saw, coincidentally, in a game against the Titans in 2017, his future superstardom. One play. Rolled out to the right. He did that thing that we've seen him do where he looks behind him. He said he's checking to see if there's a flag that's been thrown so he knows whether or not to kind of keep going and try to make something happen. Rolled out. Ran to the right. Titans defender came right at him and he uncorked a 50-yard at least bomb-slash-missile right on the money as he got hit in the face, that play, that play alone caused me to say, this guy's going to be a superstar. So when he became the starter in 2018, I was all over it. Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, he's a star. Just wait, just wait. And we marveled at the things he did. And the guy's great. He's never changed. I've said this before. Superstardom has not affected him. He's polite, he's respectful, he's cooperative. I got him on the phone after the win over the Broncos in the snow globe. And he apologized for making me wait. He wanted to call me earlier, but he had other stuff going on because he knew that we were trying to get this ready to turn it around for 7 p.m. Eastern on Football Night in America. I'm, I'm a Patrick Mahomes guy. Now, in this business, we're supposed to be objective. And this is where the intersection, I think, happens. Because we try to be objective about our analysis of what we see and where things may move, especially in the next game. And the next game is a fairly big game. It's a Super Bowl. And this is where efforts to be objective, to discuss the dynamics of the game, to understand the flaws of the Titans' defense that were manifest on that 27-yard touchdown and to try to project how the 49ers will deal with it. And that was how the comments started. And I said to Peter King, one thing I think we'll see from the 49ers if Patrick Mahomes decides to take off as a runner, I don't think we'll see that tentative quality that we see from too many defensive players who get scared of what happens if I hit the quarterback. And you know it's in their brains of these guys, and it needs to be. If the quarterback's near the sideline, you can't blow him up. If the quarterback slides, you can't blow him up and you can never dip your helmet and cram it into them. But some defensive players, I think, Peter, are coached far differently. Patriots defenders, Seahawks defenders, and my guess is that Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, is going to spend the next two weeks telling his guys, if this guy runs, you go hit him. And the Titans players, especially inside the five, I don't know what the hell those guys were doing, but they weren't hitting Patrick Mahomes. I think it will be a different experience for him if he tries to run against the 49ers. That was the opening quote. That was the context. That's the point. The Titans players were freaked out by the gray area, freaked out by the fact that a quarterback is out in the open field running the ball. He's close to the sideline. I better not hit him. He's out in the open field. You never know when he's going to slide. I better not I better not line him up and start moving in his direction because if he starts to slide, I'm not going to be able to stop. That's the point. And in the Super Bowl, when you got a championship riding on it and the quarterback's going to dance around in the gray area and lead you to believe he's running out of bounds, and then when you pull up, cut back inside. We've seen that throughout the season. I remember back in week one, Matt Ryan did it to the Vikings. He was going to the sideline and the Vikings pulled up and he said, screw it. I'll take 10 more yards because some defensive players, and I would say a lot of defensive players are coached when you get to those spots where there's a chance that that hit is going to draw a flag. Not that it will. When there's a chance that it will, don't do it. And Peter agreed with me. Peter first went on a thing about Tremaine Brock trying to strip the ball and why the hell does he do that? And why do players try to strip the ball? But then he said, one of the other things I think Robert Saul is going to do here is he's basically going to say to his defense, and you know, Mike, you're absolutely right. When he is a runner, you treat him like a runner. You don't treat him like a quarterback. You hit him, and you hit him hard. That was Peter's response. That's when the tape started for the clip that made it onto Twitter. And even then, even if you ignore the context, I said, I'm not saying try to knock him out of the game. But if he's going to run the ball and become a running back, This is football, folks. You hit him, you hit him clean, you hit him hard, and he thinks twice the next time. And also, if he's running along the sideline, you don't get lulled into this sense that he's gonna step out of bounds. And that's the line that I think people are like, well, you said you you don't advocate injuring him, but you also said this. If you can hit him, even if it's close to the sideline, even if he's maybe started into a slide. The point is, in the gray area, if he's close to the sideline, too many guys pull up when the quarterback's close to the sideline. So you start to hit him, and you're running the risk that he's going to duck out of bounds right before you hit him. And an official who looks at the quarterback and should see a running back but sees a quarterback is going to pull out his flag. Or you're trying to line the guy up. And maybe he started into a slide, but it's too late to do anything about it. And that official, if it's close, oh, oh," you know, a running back can do the same damn thing. How often do we see a running back go into a slide? Running backs got the same option to give himself up and slide. Running backs don't do it. Quarterbacks do. And here comes this guy who's got a head of steam. He's planning to make a hit like Daniel Sorensen did to Ryan Tannehill later in the game last week. Tannehill could have started into a slide and potentially drawn a 15-yard penalty. Sorensen didn't hesitate because of that possibility. That's the point, folks. He who hesitates has lost. When you're talking about a guy like Patrick Mahomes who has uncanny running skills and is gonna lull you to sleep by making you think he's gonna step out of bounds. Or you're not gonna have a chance to stop yourself if you see him in the open field and you try to line him up and hit him like you would hit a running back because he sees it coming, he starts into a slide, and the next thing you know, the ball's 15 yards down the field. And the point I made about being inside the five, I mean, there, they, 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 I mean, you, you just go, you go hit the guy. This is the overriding point. He's a running back, and if he doesn't want to get hit, don't run the ball. The quarterback shouldn't be allowed to have it both ways. And that applies to Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, and every quarterback in the NFL. Because I've seen guys, starting with Matt Ryan in week one, get cheap yards taking advantage of that hesitation that is being baked into the brains of defensive players to avoid the gray, avoid the gray. That's my point. And the only regret that I have from Wednesday, while speaking extemporaneously with no script, with no teleprompter, just kind of processing whatever thoughts came into my head at the moment... I should have emphasized that I'm talking about the gray areas. Don't slow down because of the gray areas. And I think I covered it. Close to the sideline, maybe he started into a slide. I'm not saying if you see he started into a slide, you go hit him. Don't hit him dirty. Don't hit him late. But you can't slow down because of fear that if you do hit him cleanly, the guy in black and white stripes is going to disagree with you. The stakes are too high to freak out because a quarterback's running the ball. And we see too many defensive players freak out because the quarterback's running the ball. And that moment in the FC Championship game, that moment ended the game and ended the season for the Tennessee Titans. That's the point. I've written this. I posted it right before the show. I dare not even put it on Twitter because, look... The 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 people who are Chiefs fans, who see what they want to see, hear what they want to hear, no matter what I said, no matter what the context, they're just out for a pound of flesh. But 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 it's laughable. And and look, if you if you're creating written content all day long, every day of the year for 16 years, and if you're on the air three hours live, without a script without a prompter, without a net, five days a week. If you're not every once in a while getting your hand close to the flame, then you're boring. And you're not doing your job. And you're not telling people how football really is. I'm telling you how football really is. And I'm telling you what I've seen this year. And what I saw on Sunday. And I'm trying to project what we're going to see next Sunday. And I don't know how many times I can say it. I said it in the clip that people are gleefully bastardizing I'm not saying try to knock him out of the game. I'm not saying try to injure him. I'm not saying apply a cheap shot. The point is, too many defensive players are getting freaked out. And we saw it happen to the Titans. And the point is, I don't think we're going to see it happen with the 49ers. Remember when Jared Goff decided a few years ago to run the ball down the sideline against the Seahawks? And he got blown up inside the five. Remember that? He got blown the F up. Remember who delivered that? Hang on, Art. Remember who delivered that hit? It was Richard Sherman. Who's he play for? The 49ers. We'll be right back. Jim Garoppolo met with the media on Thursday. 49ers quarterback has been criticized during the postseason. Not for anything he's done, but for what he hasn't done. And if you watched carefully both 49ers games, it's almost like Kyle Shanahan got a little freaked out by a couple of near misses by Jimmy Garoppolo like he was just teetering on the edge of up to three interceptions against the Vikings all of which could have been been made by Eric Kendricks and one of them was after a key third down throw to Kendrick Bourne to start the third quarter. The 49ers went into run, 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 run mode. 16 straight runs. And they've stayed in that mode ever since. Against the Packers, they can't stop us. We're going to keep running. We're not running to set up the pass. We're running to set up more running. And we're running and running and running. So Garoppolo criticized, not for throwing a bunch of interceptions, but for throwing only eight passes. And his stats through two games, 17 for 27, 208 yards, one touchdown, one pick, 83.6 quarterback rating which is in today's nfl's standard not good so he was asked yesterday this question richard sherman clearly uses criticism as motivation how do you use the criticism of your play everyone has different ways to you know get motivated and very similar to sherman i I do the same thing you know i hear all the stuff and everything but it's just um you can't you know you can't put that all out there all the time it's just you know, you have to do with it what you, what you will and uh, take it for what it is. It's just, you know, at the end of the day, you got to go out there and play football. And look, he's not a demonstrative guy. He later explained that that's not his way, that he internalizes it more. But here's the thing. If you want to come out and prove your doubters wrong in the Super Bowl, But the game plan that gets distributed makes it clear that if things go according to plan, you're not going to be throwing the football very much. You're going to be Bob Greasy in Super Bowl eight or seven. How do you prove your doubters wrong? Creates a little tension, a little bit, a little bit. The Super Bowl ring cures all that. But you know, something I said earlier in the week, and as the Super Bowl gets closer, I think it's fair to ask this question. If they're barely going to use the guy, is he worth $27.5 million a year? Don't you pay a quarterback? I mean, that came up with Kirk Cousins. Remember, he had 10 passes week one against the Falcons. And people were like, why the hell are they paying him $28 million a year if he's only going to throw the ball 10 times? So, we'll see how it plays out. Speaking of the Vikings, they've got a new offensive coordinator. How long will that offensive coordinator be working with Kirk Cousins, whose contract expires after the next season we'll talk about that next right here on pft live 34 minutes after the hours pro football talk live big cat joining us in 25 minutes minnesota vikings have a new offensive coordinator with kevin stefanski becoming the head coach of the cleveland browns gary kubiak who retired four years ago as head coach of the Denver Broncos, then spent some time with the team for a couple of years after that, working in the front office, consulting with the coaching staff, and then this past year decided to go to Minnesota and serve as assistant head coach, offensive consultant. And it's still bizarre that Kevin Stefanski got a head coaching job when Gary Kubiak got all the credit for the things that went well for the Vikings offense this year. Coach Mike Zimmer said in November, Gary Kubiak's the best thing that's happened to me since I became the head coach of the team. I thought that was the nail in the coffin of any Kevin Stefanski head coaching opportunities, but then again, it's Cleveland. So the guy responsible for what went well for the Vikings offense in 2019 is now the offensive coordinator. There was some speculation that maybe his son, Clint Kubiak, would take over. But Gary does. And there's been some speculation that maybe Adam Zimmer, the son of Mike Zimmer, will be the new defensive coordinator now that George Edwards is out. That doesn't matter as much because Mike Zimmer runs the defense anyway. So it's going to be the same offense for the Vikings. Which means, which means... And I haven't looked at the opponents next year for the Vikings... But if you can run the ball with Dalvin Cook if he stays healthy for a second straight year for most of a second straight year you've got the bootlegs, the play actions because the effective running game that gives Kirk Cousins excuse me who is generally immobile an opportunity to run undeterred Outside, because the defensive linemen don't chase him. When the running game isn't there, and we saw that time and again, he had a guy in his face when he's trying to do that bootleg, not nearly as effective. So if the running game's there, the passing game will be there. And if the running game's not there, the passing game won't be there. It's a formula for another 10-6, and 11-5 season. It's a formula for another buzzsaw meat grinder loss in the division around if they get that far i just don't know what takes this team over the hump as it's currently constructed they're good enough to win more games than they lose they're not good enough to win in january as the funnel gets narrower as the stakes get higher and as the opponents get better a better offensive line would help. How much can you do in one offseason to improve your offensive line? And they've got an aging team. They need some young guys to step up. They need to save some cap space by moving on from some people. Let me tell you, if they want to go next level, if the Saints re-sign Drew Brees... The Vikings need to make a play for Taysom Hill. Let him be a change-of-pace guy this year and groom him to become the quarterback of the team next year. That's what they need to do. If they want to bust through to the next level. Two years ago, when the Vikings lost in the NFC Championship game, I said, go get Drew Brees. You want to bust through to the next level this year? Go get Drew Brees. Two years later, I'm saying, get Taysom Hill. If you want to bust through. Not the easiest thing to do when you've got Kirk Cousins, who's in the last year of his contract, with a cap number of $31 million. The only way you're going to make that cap number more manageable is to extend the contract. And he told Sirius XM NFL Radio at the Pro Bowl that he's not focusing on that right now. And as to his future in Minnesota, he said, well, that's the NFL, right? I mean, you just keep going and you understand that if you keep playing and you do your part, that you're going to get more opportunities. I'm blessed to be able to be looking back with two of those years behind me and looking forward to finishing out that contract in Minnesota. Finishing out that contract in Minnesota. Sounds like a guy who doesn't expect an extension. And my position from last week, and I've been meaning to write this, but frankly, I don't want to get any hostile text messages from anyone because I know I will. I've been meaning to write that the Vikings should say, too, Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook, we're not giving out any new contracts this offseason. Because if you reward these guys for getting close, what happens if they regress? You've got no flexibility if they regress in 2020. If you extend everyone's deal and you sign on for this current approach, which is a formula for 10-6, 11-5, exit from the divisional round, At best, are you really getting yourself where you want to be? So give everyone the maximum incentive this year. Maybe add a taste some hill, a little glimpse of the future. And if it works, then you hand out the financial rewards. And if it doesn't work, it's easier and it's cleaner to rebuild after 2020 then it would be if you sign all these folks to extensions and it doesn't work and then you're stuck because you got buyouts. The thing about Cousins, though, is this. The Vikings have no way of keeping him around against his will. He'll be in that Tom Brady category next year. Here's why. His contract contains a clause that says no transition tag, which means no right to match, which means he'll be a free agent. And the franchise tag, even though there isn't a no franchise tag clause in the contract, because he was tagged twice before by Washington, and because a grievance that was filed by Drew Brees back in 2012 resulted in a ruling that your tags stack. If you're tagged by another team, it's the same as being tagged by your current team. So when you get to tag number three, you get a 44% raise over your cap number from the prior year. With a cap number of 31, 44% raise would be $44.64 million to keep Kirk Cousins under the franchise tag, which I don't think they would do. I don't think the salary cap is going to mushroom quite to that extent over the course of the next year, no matter what, the networks pay the nfl if they do work out a new cba and a new set of tv contracts so yeah i what's look what we just see in tennessee this year ryan tannehill contract year derrick henry contract year what's wrong with a guy being in a contract year team's got the prerogative to say we're not handing out rewards we're not handing out rewards until you get your hands on a trophy or close to it and, you know, that, that's the challenge for a team that contends, and I say this all the time, so I'm, I'm kind of deviating from it a little bit now, the true measure of success is being relevant into December, because if you can be relevant into December every year, you are getting the nationally televised games. People are buying your jerseys as Christmas presents. People are still coming to your games around the holidays when they have better things to do. And why do they want to go see a crap team on a cold day? Not that it matters. The Minnesota stadium's inside, but you have to go outside to get there unless you live downtown. In one of the buildings that's connected to, but you, you get my point. NFL fans check out in December. If the team stinks so the Vikings have a formula right now to be relevant every year, to contend every year, extend everybody. We want this facade of contention and maybe this year's the year that we get lucky. Maybe the ball bounces our way, this game and that game, and maybe, you know, we get a, a, a fluke call or this, that, or the other thing. And But if you want to be dominant... I don't know that this is a team that is showing me that they are on the path to having a formula that is dominant, like what the 49ers have put together. And it's not something you can go buy at a store. But the question for the Will family is how much do they want to pay for a team that by all appearances is treading water in the deep end of the pool but not ready to really dive down and go grab that, that gleaming silver dollar off the bottom of the deep end. I don't know that they're ready to do that yet. But it's okay. They're in the pool with the big boys. And there's a risk you take if you tear it down. You tear it down, there's a chance the next regime is going to be flailing around in the shallow end of the pool where all the two-year-olds pee. Hi, Cleveland Browns. Oh, Brown is the operative word I see today. We're going to take a break. When we return, Brown is the operative word in a different way. Antonio Brown, update. Sad situation. We'll give you all the latest on what's going on with Antonio Brown and his latest legal issue when PFT Life continues right after this. On Wednesday night, an arrest warrant was issued for free agent receiver Antonio Brown. They didn't act on it on Thursday. I thought they'd show up at his house and say, hey, Locking yourself in there doesn't do you any good. We've got a warrant for your arrest. You're either coming out or we're going in. They instead extended him the courtesy of turning himself in. As of Thursday afternoon, he hadn't. By Thursday night, he did. Spent the night in jail. Has a bond hearing this morning. He's facing charges of burglary with battery all arising from this kooky effort by a moving truck driver to deliver belongings of Browns that were in California. TMZ has the 911 call. Sounds like somebody from Russia trying to make the delivery. Said Brown was high and was smoking and was trying to fight me. He's throwing stones at my truck. That was the first call. See, the guy shows up with the Antonio Brown property from California, wants $4,000. Brown says, I'm not paying you, so the guy leaves. Brown allegedly throws rocks at the truck. Truck driver calls the cops. 30-minute 911 call. There was just a couple of minutes on TMZ yesterday. At some point, Brown agrees in discussions with the moving company to pay the $4,000 plus another $860 for damage to the truck and extra work time. Guy goes back. Brown says, I'm not paying more than $4,000. That's when Brown allegedly batters the guy. Assault. They take the, allegedly, they take the keys to the truck. They start taking the property out of the truck. Cops show up. Brown goes inside, locks the door. So he did turn himself in. He's in custody. And here's the problem that he has from the NFL's perspective. He's starting to stack up violations of the personal conduct policy. They're still investigating him for the allegation of sexual assault and rape that was made in a lawsuit that was filed in September. And then there's the incident that caused the Patriots to cut him a week and a half later when in response to a report from Robert Klemko, who was with SI at the time, he's now at the Washington Post, he had found somebody else who made some accusations of a semi-sexual nature against Brown. And then Brown allegedly harassed that person in a text message chain. That was the thing that caused the Patriots to cut him. That's a separate ground under the personal conduct policy for looking into Brown. And now there's a third one. As the personal conduct policy originally was enhanced in 2007 by the commissioner Remember, they rolled out a new personal conduct policy, April of 07. At the time, they suspended Pac-Man Jones for a year and the late Chris Henry for eight games. And the new personal conduct policy focused on repeat offenses. And the thinking is, look, the more times you get in trouble, the more likely we are going to hammer you under this policy. Now, the focus changed in 2014 with the Ray Rice situation and the intense scrutiny of domestic violence situations. But that repeat offender thing is still a big deal. And when you consider that the first strike they were looking into is sexual assault and rape, and I've said all along, if they conclude, even without a criminal charge, if they conclude based upon their investigation, extensive discussion with the alleged victim, interviewing Antonio Brown, doing other work, They still haven't reached a conclusion yet. If they conclude he raped this girl, how can you ever let him play in the NFL again? And I think he's at the point where no one's going to touch him. I think he's become radioactive. Back when Drew Rosenhaus was representing him just a week or so ago, there was a sense that if and when he would be cleared, there would be multiple teams that wanted to sign him. Do we really think that happens now? I think it only happens if this guy does get some sort of evaluation, some sort of treatment. Something that that will allow teams to believe. And he's going to have to follow that with an extended stretch of no incidents on social media. No incidents with moving truck drivers or anyone else. No social media videos that he makes and and proudly posts of himself berating the mother of three of his children. He's going to have to go a while Convincing people that he's different. And I think the more incidents that happen, the harder it's going to be and the longer it's going to take for someone to believe that he truly has changed. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what's happened to this guy over the course of the last year? And I just wonder how challenging it was for the Steelers to keep this meltdown from happening at any point before a year ago? How many years did they do everything they possibly could to hold it together, look the other way, work with A.B. to avoid what we've seen over the course of the last year, assuming that he hasn't had some significant downward spiral sparked by a health condition. That may be the explanation for it. But even without that, I think we've seen enough to realize he's always been wired a little differently, and there's a little diva quality, not a little, a lot, that the Steelers had to manage. How much did they really have to manage? If Mike Tomlin ever writes a book, a true tell-all book, not something that tiptoes around, you know, reality. And I've seen books that coaches write. I remember Wade Phillips' book. I thought it was going to be great. I thought it was going to tell us all sorts of great, funny stories, and it was just kind of, yeah. A real book from Mike Tomlin. There's a lot that's going to be in there about Antonio Brown. A lot of chapters on how Mike Tomlin managed to somehow hold it together all those years with Antonio Brown. So, look, if the guy needs help, if he truly has a health condition that needs to be addressed, I hope he gets the help that he needs. I hope that he does. And if there's a way for him to get past all these legal issues and get back to the NFL and he can make a team better, the NFL's better when great players are in it. And I think he's still capable of being a great player. It's just unfortunate what's happened over the course of the last year. All right, over the course of the next two hours, more Pro Football Talk Live. Big Cat is here and ready to go. We're ready to go to Miami in a couple of days. We're going to have a big week there as well. I'm going to try to hold on to my voice as long as I can over the next two hours More Pro Football Talk Live on NBC Sports Radio and NBCSN coming at you right after this.